Thank you for joining us for this recent message from Freedom Ministries in Crossit, Arkansas. Connect with us online at freedomministriescrossit.com and let us know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Now prepare your heart to hear a word that we pray will bless your life. God's kind of had me on a theme lately and, I, and, I'm, and He's still speaking to me on it. Um, and uh, as I was listening to the words of Amazing Grace, which was probably the best song ever written in the history of the world, um, besides maybe, I don't know, David probably wrote some awesome ones, but in, in modern times, I'll say that. Um, it says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And... And I've never made the connection with those words with this scripture that I'm about to read this this evening um, and how connected they are and how what a revelation that song is to us if we really listen to the words that the grace of God allows me to see the wretchedness of myself. If I can't see myself then I don't know that I have any need of God at all. And that makes me the most wretched person in the world. <coughs> and so we were blind, but God gives us sight. In Revelations chapter 3, verse 14, I read this Sunday. I'm going to read it again. Uh, I'm reading now the New Living Translation. If you're following along, it'll sound a little bit different. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were, <coughs> excuse me, I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. God, we hear your word tonight, God, and in the name of Jesus, I open up my eyes, God, to see and I open my ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so I saw the connection tonight between that and Amazing Grace, that it's about a wretch like me. And I was blind, but now I can see that I'm a wretch, so God can do something about me being a wretch. Amen. That's a really big deal. I, God can't do nothing about me being wretched, miserable, blind, and naked, and poor. If I think, as long as I think I'm rich, which is this church's, in this Bible, their problem. 
they were lukewarm, they were in the middle. And God has been talking to us some about being in the middle and being that tension of just being halfway in, halfway out over the last couple of weeks. And we've talked about where our passion has gone some over the last couple of weeks too. And this scripture, I believe, God gives us the prescription to get our passion back. If I find that I'm not passionate about the things that I used to be passionate about, then I believe we're going to see in here the prescription to get that back. And I think the first thing we have to look at, <clears throat> if I can just teach a little bit tonight, is there are three distinct problems in this church that we're reading about. Number one is they believe they're rich and they are in need of nothing. He named that as their first problem. You think you're rich and you have everything you want and you don't need anything. The second problem was they can't see their own poverty, that they're actually naked. And the third was that they're blind and they can't see that all of these things are their actual real condition. They're wretched, miserable, blind, naked, and poor. So they're blind so they can't see that all these things are their real problem. That That is the nature that they live in. And he gives us three remedies for this problem. He said, for believing that you're rich but you're actually poor, he said, you can buy of me gold that was purified in the fire. Then you will be rich. You think you're rich, but you're poor. But if you can see yourself that you're poor, then you can buy gold from me, purified in the fire, and then you will be rich. So he has a fix for their situation. Buy from me white garments so you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. And then buy ointment for your eyes so that you can see. All the problems of the church of Laodicea, of the lukewarmness there, he gave an answer to. If we feel lukewarm and I don't have any passion, he gave me three solutions to fix it. Buy gold, purified in the fire, buy white garments, and buy ointment for your eyes. And then he gives us one final instruction. I correct and I discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. And that will fix the majority of it. So the problem that they had is that they're in between. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> if you're hot, if I'm hot, I'm passionate about God, I recognize the state of affairs that I'm in. Because when I'm hot, I'm always going after Him. I'm always seeking Him. I'm always saying, God, show me myself. Show me who I am. God, how can I be closer to you? I, w I was close to you yesterday, but I want to be closer to you today. Show me what is in my heart that makes me not close to you, even closer to you today. I want you. I want you with all of my heart. I'm running after you. It's impossible for a hot Christian who's full of the fire and passion of God to be blind to their condition because I'm constantly looking at myself. I'm constantly seeking out everything that's wrong. I am already diligent in my pursuit of God, so it is impossible for me to be indifferent. I'm anything but indifferent towards God. And the funny thing is that if I'm totally cold, 
I also recognize my state of affairs. We know lots of people who fit that. They know exactly where they're at. And that's exactly where they want to be right now. They don't pretend to be anything that they're not. They just are who they are. So a cold person also is honest and truthful about themselves. Yes, if God's real, I'm going to hell. But I want to live my life the way I want to live it right now. I prefer these things to the presence of God, and I'm going to keep going after them. Now, they are deceived in a sense, but they're not self-deceived. They know who they are. They know they're not a Christian, and they know that many of us aren't either. <laughs> because they're not they're not de- self-deceived. They are deceived by sin, but they're not deceived. The problem comes in the in-between state. For me to be able to stay in between, there is a, a great self-deception that I have to embrace about my own state of affairs. Because I can't say I want to be a Christian and acknowledge that I'm not passionate and sold out for God. Because that's a problem I'd have to deal with. And I don't want to deal with my problem because I'm in the middle. I want to stay half in and half out. So I have to deceive myself and say, I'm wonderful. I'm busy in church things. I have lots of things going on. I'm not going to admit that I'm wretched and miserable, so I just believe a lie. I'm always at the church. Somebody told me one time, well, I'm just always at the church. I'm like, I've seen you once in the last month and a half. Where, where, when is this time that you're at the church? Well, I'm just always there, always doing. No, you're not. But they were self-deceived because they was lukewarm. That's why God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold because at least then you're honest. But when I'm lukewarm, I'm self-deceived. We live for ourselves, but we have enough of a semblance of God in our lives that we have actually clothed, closed ourselves off to seeking for Him because I've made myself believe that I'm rich and in need of nothing so I don't have to deal with my wretchedness and nakedness because I don't actually want to deal with those things. I want to be halfway out too because I like those things. Does that make sense? I'm half in, half out. So... Of course, what else can God do with me but spit me out? Because I am so deceived that I'm, I'm really, I'm very closed off to even the conviction of the Holy Spirit because I have embraced a lie so much that it's difficult to penetrate. And it's the most dangerous place to live. I know we don't like to look at ourselves like that. But if we're hot, we are always examining ourselves and saying, there's probably a little bit of that in me, Jesus. They take it out of me in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> so let's look at this. Psalms, 14, chapter, uh, Psalms chapter 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now there's an interesting thing here that we write this scripture off a lot. By interpreting it to mean the fool has said in his mind that there is no God. And we write this off as atheists and people who don't believe in God. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that a fool has said in his heart that there is no God. That's different than saying in my 
mind that there, that there is no God. Because many atheists have said in their mind that there is no God, but their hearts are open to the penetration of the Holy Spirit. That's why Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has put eternity in our heart. Romans 1.19, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, says, In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively in our hearts, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. So atheists can say in their mind there is no God, but their heart knows there's a God because God put it instinctively inside of every one of us that there is a God, and I should respond to Him in some way. That's why many atheists... there. You can, I know, I know many, I know many, and they, um, they don't like to litter. Why would they care? Because in their mind, in their heart, there's something in their heart that says there is something eternal in this life that I'm living, and I'm going to make a mark that will last. So I'm not going to litter. I'm going to do things to clean up the environment. I want to leave my world. Every atheist I've actually, I've ever known wants to leave the world better than when they found it. Why? Because in their heart, there's something eternal that is embedded in there. They instinctively know that there is more to this life than just flesh and blood and what I'm here. They, in their mind, they don't acknowledge God. But they don't qualify to that scripture that says a fool has said it in their heart there is no God. Because in their heart, they are acknowledging Him in some way because they are attempting to do something better in this world than just use and do whatever I want to do. If you don't know very many atheists, you will find when you meet them that they fit the bill. Most of them care about leaving the earth a better place than they found it. Most of them. So this is a different group of people we're talking about in Psalms 14.1 when he says, A fool has said in their heart that there is no God. How do I live if I say in my heart, when I have shut my heart off to the idea that there are eternal ramifications to my actions, belief system, and the way I live my life? When I've shut myself off to that, I live only, only for satisfying the lusts of my flesh. That doesn't mean I don't come to church and act like a Christian and believe in Jesus. I can very easily have a mind that acknowledges God and a heart that does not very easily have a mind and and then read that scripture and say I'm good I acknowledge God I have never said in my mind that there is no God but in my heart how do I live this is the essence of the problem of a lukewarm Christian if I was cold I would not have deceived my mind so so that my heart was shut off to God my shut my heart off to the eternal ramifications if my only thought and given is how much money do I have today and is God going to bless me enough that I get this back? I have closed my whole heart off to the eternity of God. If, if my service to God is based on what I get out of it, how easy it is for me, and do I have time with all the, to do all the things that I want to do and fit all of that back in with it, with what I'm doing for God, I was praying today, and I was saying, God, how, over a few people in particular, and I said, God, how, what am I supposed to do? Like, how, how do I make people passionate about serving you? And he said, 
well, why do you serve me? I said, because I, I love you. And because no matter what I suffer to have you and to do what you call me to do, I expect you to make it to, for you to make me whole in it. But even if you don't in this life, I know that heaven is coming. I know you're coming back. And, I, and when that happens, there's a reward. When that happens, it's going to all be worth it when I see Jesus. That's why that old, that old song is wonderful. It'll be worth it all when I see him. When I see him, every bit of it's going to be worth it. My heart's eye. My, now, my mind's eye looks on a lot of things, but my heart's eye is fixed on Jesus. And that moment when I see him and I know it was worth every minute of it. It was worth all that I gave up. It was worth all the giving and the offering. It was worth all the times that I, that I didn't know what, where I was supposed to be. It was worth all the times that I wondered if I gave up that job in vain. And what, did you ever really come through? It was worth all the times, all the things. All the, it was worth the cost of serving him. And he said, that's the problem. I said, oh, we don't ever think about heaven. We don't ever think about heaven. And, and so in essence, what he's saying is, if I'm, if I'm only focused on temporal things, and I'm closed my heart, the part of my heart where eternity is embedded inside of there, and I instinctively know that, that God is calling me to something higher, I've closed that. And it's odd, it's funny, I think that actually many times the cold people actually have a heart open to God and more knowledge of the eternal in their heart than many Christians. Because they're honest. And... Because wisdom comes from the knowledge of God. And the Bible tells us that the children of this world are more are wiser in their day than the children of light. So there are, I can look, I can look at people in the world. There's a, there's a guy who, you can tell he was raised in church, but he is far from anything resembling saved today. And he's a business mentor. He writes business books. And I'm reading his books. And I'm like, that'll preach. He's, he's, his, he's the one who said a quote. I, I met him at a conference one time, and he, and, he, and he said something. I wrote it down. I've never forgotten it because it went in my spirit. This man was not saved, but it went in my spirit. He said, they always tell you to follow your passion. Don't follow your passion. Follow your purpose, and passion follows your purpose. And it went in me. I said, that's good. Do you know Jesus? He said, my grandmother used to pray for me, but I don't go to, I don't, I have not, I haven't had anything to do with God or, or church. And I said, I said, you have no idea. It's, it's in you though. The, that's how people in the world can be wiser in things than people who are in church. Because in church, when I embrace lukewarmness, that doesn't happen in the world, by the way. When I'm in church and I embrace lukewarmness, I shut off eternity in my heart. So we become lukewarm by claiming we associate with Jesus, but we don't live passionately for him because passion for God and love for others are the defining 
hallmarks of a life that was transformed by Jesus. And they're so defining, so definite in a Christian's life that there's one thing that I'm pretty sure is true that I'm going to suggest to you, and that is if you can't find one thing in your life that I passionately pursue in God, or at least point back to a time in your life when you passionately pursued Him. And I prayed and I sought Him and there was nothing that kept me from prayer. It was the thing that drove me. It was the time that I went after Him, that I, I couldn't wait to worship Him, that there was a passion that burned in me. If you can't do one of those two things, I would suggest to you that you're not saved. I know that's, a, I know that's hard to say. But some of us, we grow up in church, and we do the church things, and we never question sometimes. But if I'm not passionate about anything, talk to somebody today who wasn't passionate anymore. And they want to talk about the things they weren't passionate about, and I want to talk about your heart. Your heart, well, there's a problem if I'm passionate about nothing, if there's nothing for God, about God and God and Christianity, and serving Him, and church that I'm passionate about, I don't know if I'm saved. Not, not nothing. I'm not saved. The very idea that I could, as someone who knows Jesus, truly believe that I am rich and in need of nothing, like this person in Laod like these people in Laodicea, if I truly love him and I'm, and I'm seeking after him, the idea that I could say I'm rich and that I have need of nothing is, should be so foolish, so far removed from anything that would ever come into my mind that I should laugh at it. And yet, when some general altar call is given, and I'm not talking about anything in particular, I'm just saying in general, I'm talking about us. When a general altar call is given for something like, do you want to be more passionate about God? You just don't feel very passionate about Him. You want to be more passionate for God? Or um, <coughs> we've been half in, half out. We're not all the way in. Let's, who wants to pray and go all the way in tonight? There's an altar call given for that. And I would think, mm, no, I don't think that's me. I think I'm just going to stand over here. I actually, and the only reason I don't respond to my own altar call is because I already prayed it. You know, if I'm, if I'm saying to repent about something like that, it's because I repented probably in the last two days over the same thing. <coughs> so, that's where we see how we react because it is our actions actually that define our lukewarmness. And I remember that old song, It's Me, It's Me, O Lord, standing in need of prayer. And there was a time when I was, and I can tell, and I know, I know the spirit, because there was a time in my life when I actually hated that song. Somebody would sing it, and I'd be like, that is, that's not right. I should be helping somebody else. And then I matured a little bit and got pride stripped out of me, and I realized, oh, no, it is me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer every day. It is me, me, 
me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You may not need prayer, but I need some prayer. I need prayer today, and if I do not have prayer today, I'm not going to, I'm not, probably not even going to want to pray tomorrow. I need prayer. So, how do we remedy this state of mind? And I know some of us are wondering, well, I wonder if he's talking about me. Probably. I'm just probably talking about you if you're wondering that. The first thing is, he says, I buy gold purified in the fire. If I buy it, it costs me something. And it's interesting that he said gold purified in the fire because he's basically saying purchase purity. Purchase a pure heart from me. Purity has to do with my heart. Purchase a pure heart. It's going to cost you something, and you're probably going to go through a trial by fire to get it. But if you purchase purity from me, then you will be rich. You'll recognize the, your wretched state that you're in and that you are not pure. So purchase pure gold, gold that was purified in the fire. It's, it'll cost and it's gold because it's eternal. He's speaking there to the eternal thing that's in our heart that knows what eternity is. Our minds cannot fathom eternity. Period. We can try. I like sci-fi shows because sometimes they, they, they touch on the what is eternity versus time, something that's outside of time and not constrained by time. Uh, it's interesting to know that they're actually, if you look in two different dictionaries, you'll find two different definitions of eternity. Um, I read this in John's Bevere book, Driven by Eternity. Um, he said there's two definitions for eternity. He said, now, in what other, what other word in the world would we accept the fact that I can look in one dictionary and it says one thing, and I look in another dictionary and it says something the exact opposite? In one of them it says that it is infinite time. It's time that goes on. In the other one it says it, you're, it's the state of being not constrained by time. So in one dictionary, it says it's something that is constrained by time. In another dictionary, it says it's outside of the realm of time. It's two opposite definitions. Now, can you imagine if you opened up a science textbook and, it's, and you looked up what a fish was and it said it's a vertebrate that lives in water, and I opened up another science textbook and it says it's an invertebrate that lives in the air. There would be a serious problem there. But we don't even understand eternity enough to question the fact that there's two opposite definitions for eternity in the dictionary. We can't understand it with our mind, but our heart knows eternity. And the gold speaks to something eternal. So I purchase pure, I purchase purity, and I purchase eternal purity from God. And in doing that, I focus on the eternal value of where my heart is and the eternal value of my work and what, and what I'm doing. Because when I can see that, when I can see eternity, then I can look and know that it costs me something right now. It's difficult and uncomfortable right now. I'm giving up things to do this for God right now. But it's worth it because though it may cost me everything, it's going to be worth it all on that day. When I pass from time into eternity, because something in my heart, that eternal thing that's embedded in my heart, understands that this is going to come to a close. And what I've done here sets me up and qualifies me for where I'm going to be in eternity. So he says, purchase purity that is eternal. It's a cost, but 
He says, do it. It's still worth it. So <clears throat> the next thing he says, we don't see our own poverty and nakedness, that we're actually wretched. So what should we do? And again here he says, purchase holiness. So he told us to purchase purity with gold purified in the fire. Then he says, purchase holiness in white garments because holiness covers my shame. Holiness is about the way I live and the way I act and the way I talk in front of people. And if I'm not holy in front of you, then I am shameful. So if I purchase holiness from God, then I'm not ashamed anymore. Thank you, Jesus. He says you're blind. So what does he say? Purchase eye ointment so that we can see. So we know the ointment is the Holy Ghost. Purchase through prayer and time in the presence of God, the ointment and the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that your eyes can be opened to see and remind yourself regularly, I am wretched, miserable, and naked, and poor if it had not been for God doing something in me. That is all I am. So God, look at me again and see. Show me again and see. Open my eyes to see where I'm at. And then he gives us one final instruction. And it's this. Diligence destroys indifference. If I feel indifferent, and the wonderful thing about being a Christian is that we have enough spirit in us to recognize when I'm indifferent about the things of God and know that it's a problem. If I'm indifferent about the things of God, then he says, diligence will destroy indifference. What does that mean? That means I feel very indifferent and I don't feel like doing anything, but I'm diligent, so I get up and I pray and I read the Bible. I get up and I pray until I have a breakthrough. I get up and I do the things that I need to do to have a relationship with God and know that I've touched Him today and that I can hear from Him when He wants to speak to me. I get up and I do it, whether I feel like it or not, whether I think it was worth anything at all in my day or not, I get up and I do it anyway. And then pretty soon... It's amazing, I'll find that I don't feel indifferent anymore. I actually like God. And then pretty soon, I'll find out I actually love Him. And so when I find myself, because indifference is not the state of a hot Christian, but I find myself there sometimes. So when I'm not hot and I'm indifferent and I'm lukewarm, He says I can destroy indifference by simply being diligent. How many of us, every time we've ever come to prayer, we really, really wanted to be there? Not every time. No. Maybe 50-50. I really, really wanted to be there. But I was always glad I came at the end of it. Diligence destroys indifference. Amen. Hallelujah. And then finally, he gives us a promise. I know all that's about dying to self. There's, some good, there's something good in it. He says, if you're victorious over these issues, these things, you purchase, purchase gold, you purchase white garments, you purchase purity, you purchase holiness, purchase eye ointment and the, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to see, and you're diligent. He says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne 
just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. The great thing about it is I really get everything I want. I get the relationship with Jesus where he's standing at the door knocking and saying, I'm coming in to have dinner with you, buddy. I get it. I get the victory. I get all the blessing because he said I'm going to get rich in the process of this. He said, I'll make if you get the gold, if you get the purity, you're going to be rich. I get all I wanted by being in and by, by trying to stay in and out. But I get it from God. And I don't have any problems that come with it. I get everything I want. But here's the, the difficult thing to understand about God is that it costs me everything. Everything. It'll cost me more than I've ever given already. It's going to cost me. There's times that I've gone through where I felt like my, my mind and um, my body were just being ripped because I was been so stripped by God and didn't have anything I wanted, was dying to myself so much. But when I've, when I've given and when I've totally surrendered, when we succeed in surrender, then we are given everything. When we've given everything to Jesus, we have this promise that I love to stand on. And that's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's our reward. That's our promise. The burden of being half in, half out, the burden of trying to figure it out on my own is a heavy burden to bear, but if I surrender Everything. If I don't surrender everything, it doesn't work because I'm fighting against a yoke. That's difficult. But if I surrender it all, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He says, I'm going to take all your burdens upon me. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we have an idea that God has a heavy burden for us to bear, a heavy cross for us to bear, difficulty in serving Him, and just one death after another, and one, thing, one miserable day after another because I have to die to Him one more time. I am lukewarm. I'm half in and half out, and I'm fighting the process because if I surrender everything, he says it. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. If I'm weary of doing good things, if I'm weary of, weary of doing churchy things and all the stuff that I do, then that is not from God. It's a lie. I'm weary from the tension. I'm weary from the struggle of being in and out. It's because he says if I give all of it, then I find rest. Period. That's the end of it. Let's all stay. We hope you enjoyed this message from Freedom Ministries. For more information and to stay connected with us, find us on Facebook or the web at freedomministriescrossit.com.